We are glad you're with us on this Saturday morning. I'm Mike Colombo and this is Postscripts. Each week on the show we discuss news and politics with our news partners at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. With me in studio is Christopher Ave. He is the national and political editor at The Post. And joining us from the nation's capital is the paper's Washington Bureau Chief Chuck Roche. On Friday, federal authorities arrested 56-year-old Cesar Sayoc in Florida in connection with the suspected explosive packages discovered this week at locations associated with critics of the Trump administration. Sayoc was arrested at a business in Plantation, Florida, a city about 30 minutes north of Miami. Patrol cars shut down surrounding streets, leaving rows of businesses inaccessible for part of the morning. A white van that was covered in stickers was towed away from the scene, as you see on your screen. Law enforcement officials say SEAC has a lengthy criminal history in Florida dating back to 1991 that includes felony theft, drug and fraud charges, as well as being accused of threatening to use a bomb. We understand that he also has some ties to New York. Chuck, there is so much still left to learn about this man and his potential connections to this case. Strictly from a timing perspective, with the election a little bit more than a week away, how has this deepened the divide between the right and the left? Well, I think it happens at a time where, you know, when people usually say October surprises happen. I don't know if this is the proverbial October surprise. I mean, uh, as of Sunday, with, you know, we still have uh, ten, nine days to go before the election. So who knows how long it, it will actually be in the um, in the headlines over the next week. I think what it does is though it sort of typifies kind of where we are as a country right now. Um, I know the president tweeted on it uh, shortly after um, uh, dawn on Friday uh, in which he said that uh, he, he regretted that the focus was on this quote-unquote bomb stuff rather than on the caravan and immigration and other things he wants to talk to. So clear, clearly there's this tussle over the narrative of what we're going to talk about over the next nine days before uh, voters uh, mercilessly, mercifully go to the polls. Christopher, this is just a scary situation. Uh, regardless of who received these, who sent these, the fact that this has happened at all is scary. And we have talked really exhaustively about some of the uh, terms the president has used, some of the rhetoric he has used in his descriptions of the media sometimes and whether this had anything to do with that it speaks to the larger issue of what's happening and who these packages were sent to things of that nature and whether there's the connection or not it's just troublesome because it's happening whatever the motive is. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that, that's the number one point here is that these are were explosive devices. Whether they were well made or not, it appears they were not. Could they have exploded on their own? That's not known yet. They haven't revealed that yet. But yeah, when people put pipe bombs in packages and mail them to elected leaders, former presidents, people who are in the media, I mean, yeah, this, this is extremely disturbing. Um, to your point, we don't know the man's motive. It's likely that he is unbalanced, that there is something in him that is not typical even of uh, supporters of one party or the other. But it must be said, the van that he was in apparently had pro-Trump stickers and anti-Democrat stickers. The people who were targeted were mainly people identified by Trump in speeches as enemies, uh, as opponents of Trump. So there's that. Now, 
Does that mean anyone should change their views based on this apparent madman? No, I don't think that, that's, that that necessarily follows. I think we need to keep this in perspective and focus on the main thing. No one was killed, thank God. No one was hurt. And, you know, we have an election to run and we have an election to participate in, and that should be the message here. And really, Chuck, the question or the idea, I suppose, of would this change anything to begin with? Does, do people vote more favorably in one way or another because of what happened? I would say the answer is no. What do you think? Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think when, these are the moments where, unfortunately, the culture that we live in now don't allow us to step back and take that deep breath and moment. I mean, personally, I live here in, in, in Washington, D.C. area, five miles away from where my, my boys played high school baseball, uh, the same field that, that Steve Scalise was shot on almost uh, two years ago, I believe, or whenever it was a couple years ago. And so, you know, political violence is nothing new in American history. Uh, unfortunately now, it seems to be more of a, uh, you know, of, of, of a thing that's happening right now. I will say that, you know, sort of the, the direction and, and, the, and the policy starts from the top. And when the President of the United States is, is using divisive language and singling people out, uh, celebrating the attack, of, of physical attack of a uh, you know, of, of a reporter, which he did a week ago in Montana, that can't be overlooked in this context. On the other hand, I think Republicans are right in saying, you know, that it's not just Trump in this environment. Remember, someone from our region was the one that two years ago, or whenever it was, with uh, Mr. Scalise, uh, with, with Representative Scalise, you know, you know, tried to kill him. And so this is, the, this is the world we live in, this is the era we live in. You would hope that the political leadership, that as Joe Biden tried to do this week, would sip, step back and say, look, Everybody's got to temper it down. Everybody's got to tamp it down. Let's change gears here and talk that midterm election. Of course, the McCaskill-Holly race getting big attention here in Missouri, but well across the rest of the country. The question popping up lately, is Senator McCaskill the moderate she's trying to portray? Chuck, tell us more. Well, you know, we've delved into this in several different ways this election, and I, I hope our readers have, um, have been able to follow it uh, several times. Um, it depends. It, the, the answer is it depends. Um, in the context of a lot of judgment of the Senate that as it is it configured now, with a lot of very conservative Republicans on one side and a lot of very liberal Democrats on the other side, she's undeniably in the middle. Every kind of uh, you know uh, gradient out there that's measuring you know votes and that sort of thing. And she does, she can point to things where she supported the president. She port, supported him on the Keystone Pipeline, on a number of other things. Now, Republicans will rightfully also point out that on the key issues of the Trump era, she's not been with him. The two Supreme Court nominees, uh, the tax cut vote, which she says was uh, geared much more toward the, the wealthy than it needed to be, uh, and the issue of, of repealing Obamacare. She was against the, the Trump administration and, and against Republicans. So I guess the, the answer to that question is, it depends on how you stack up a lot of these issues. For instance, she's for Planned Parenthood funding. He's against it. How important is that to you in your life and that issue? Uh, and I think that's got to be an, an issue that just average Missouri voters have to, have to, have to sort of do in a, a calculus of their own and decide. But uh, there, are, there are people in her caucus, for instance, that vote against every single Trump nominee, Senator Warren, others. I mean, rarely vote with him. And she votes with, you know, his nominees you know, a fair amount of time. And so, you know, on that point, she's got a point. 
and I do want to touch with about a minute left on something you wrote about this week, and that involves right. uh, McCaskill's debate declaration that Trump lies all the time. Then you noted that she's also running a radio ad using Trumpian language with a male actor's voice declaring that she is not one of those crazy Democrats. There was some pushback from people within her own party about that ad. Touch on it very quickly here. Right, right. Very quickly, uh, I'd like to know. I, I guess it would, be, it would be good to know who who the crazy Democrats are uh, that, that that the senator is talking about. And um, what she's clearly trying to do is she's trying to separate herself from the images that are showing up on your network and on other networks of people confronting Republicans in public spaces and things like that. She's and she's said that she's told me that and others that that that's not her. That's not what she represents. She doesn't think that's the way public policy ought to be debated in this country. All right, Chuck Rosh, as always, we thank you for your time and expertise. We will Great. be talking to you next week right here in our studio. Looking forward to having you then. Still to come here on Postscripts with the midterm inching even closer, a closer look at Missouri Attorney General Josh Hawley's tenure as the state's top cop, what he's done to put his own stamp on the office, and what that office has accomplished under his leadership. We'll discuss it with reporter Jack Suntrip when Postscripts return. Welcome back to Postscripts. Let's welcome in Post-Dispatch reporter Jack Suntrip. He joins us via Skype from his office in Jefferson City. Jack, continuing our focus on the McCaskill-Holly race, you wrote this week about Holly's tenure as Missouri Attorney General. Take us through what you found in your reporting. Yeah, so uh, Josh Holly came in as Attorney General uh, less than two years ago, um, and uh, before he came in, the office had been controlled by Democrats for 25 years. So he really did a, um, he, he shook the office up, he reorganized it. Um, and, you know, this created a lot of turnover uh, in the office. Uh, former staffers I talked to said that this created kind of a, a chaotic atmosphere. Um, he got rid of his envi the environmental unit. Uh, he created a federalism unit. And um, since he's come in, he's really taken on the federal government more than his predecessors. So he's sued over a number of uh, environmental regulations, for example. And as Senator McCaskill will tell you, he's also sued over Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. And she, that's become one of her main talking points is that if his lawsuit is successful, it will really yank uh, coverage for pre-existing medical conditions away uh, from people. So so he's come in and uh, really shaken things up. Um, he can point to sex trafficking raids and um, and other things. Uh, he sued uh, the St. Louis Housing Authority over uh, its management of the Clinton Peabody housing complex. Um, he sued uh, pharmaceutical companies and, and Google. Uh, it's really yet to be seen uh, what's going to happen with those lawsuits. Um, there, he made a big splash when he announced them, but everything, uh, really, the, a lot of big things at least, are, are still pending. Jack, uh, this is Christopher. So uh, a lot of what he has done, isn't it fair to say that uh, conservatives might applaud, you know, taking on the federal government over regulations and sort of uh, de-emphasizing uh, environmental uh, compliance? These are things that some conservatives, at least, would say are good. On the other hand, if you're a Democrat or if you're more, uh, more liberal, you might say these are bad things. So how does, how does sort of the party focus play into how people are interpreting his actions? Yeah, so um, you, you've seen the elimination of the environmental unit 
um, in Oklahoma when uh, Oklahoma Attorney General Scott Pruitt came in in 2011. He's a Republican, and he went on to lead the Environmental Protection Agency under Donald Trump. His critics say that he attempted to dismantle the Environmental Protection Agency. Um, so yeah, you do have critics uh, who used to work in the Attorney General's office under uh, Democrats saying, well, wait a second, uh, we, we're, we're supposed to enforce environmental laws, and, and they're worried that, you know, uh, he's not emphasized that as much. At the same time, uh, you have conservatives who um, may applaud uh, Hawley for uh, suing the federal government or filing amicus briefs as much as he has. Um, under Attorney General Chris Coster and Attorney General Jay Nixon, they they really pick and sh pick pick their battles with the federal government. But it seems that Hawley has really emphasized this as a uh, a main um, objective during his administration. One thing as it relates to this race that certainly gets touched on, particularly by the McCaskill camp, is that enduring ad of the ladders and this idea that um, Mr. Hawley himself said he wasn't going to be a ladder climbing politician. Uh, whether he is or whether he isn't, um, it doesn't necessarily have to judge his time as Missouri Attorney General and perhaps should not be held against him for aspiring to seek a higher office. When the history books look back on his term as Attorney General, whether it winds up being a short one or a longer term, uh, I think it will be what he actually did while in office that is judged as opposed to that ad that he may wish he could take back. Yeah, I think you're right, Mike. That's, that's a, a, a good comment. I mean, uh, it's true. When he was running for attorney general, his first ever run for elective office, uh, Josh Hawley looked at the camera and said, I'm not a career climbing, ladder climbing politician with the ladders behind him. And of course, the Democrats have kicked that up again and again and again to try to pin him on that. He can't escape that. Right. He did say that. On the other hand, he has real accomplishments in office. Whether you agree with them or not, that remain, that's for the, the viewer to, to judge. All right. Very good. Jack Suntrip, Christopher Ave, we thank you for your time on this Sunday morning. Still to come here on Postscripts, imagine being hired to protect people, but being told not to act. An investigation behind what's happening inside Missouri prisons. Corrections officers say they are losing veteran trusted colleagues every day. They're quitting, and they say the Department of Corrections is hiring less qualified teenagers. Fox Files investigator Chris Hayes found this out during his investigation of Missouri's crumbling corrections. Legislators will not raise pay for Missouri corrections officers who are among the lowest paid anywhere. Instead, the department is lowering hiring standards and at one point began a questionable emergency hiring program just to get new recruits. Jonathan Hance was one of them. I was basically like a mini me to a CO. Almost like you're just getting a tour of the place. Yeah. And that's what it was, was showing what I would be doing. Hans says he was hired as what's called an ECW, emergency corrections worker, getting the same pay as a regular corrections officer, but with zero training. His orders, he could only use the radio. If anything happened with use of force, you are supposed to step back and radio for help if it's too serious or let the CO that you're following around handle the situation and just try not getting involved with it. 
Hans was working with a female officer in July 2017 when an inmate attacked from behind, stabbing her repeatedly. He says he's prohibited from getting into detail, but he can say that he was powerless. If I had the training at that time, I was would have been supposed to step in and help take care of the situation. But you didn't have it at that time? I did not. You need to get the training before you go in there. DOC reportedly stopped hiring ECW September 28th with no explanation. However, Farmington Corrections Supervisor Joni Light says she's constantly fighting pressure to put workers with no training out with offenders. I'm being told to send my untrained staff in defensive tactics out into the wing. I'm not necessarily comfortable with that. You know, I'm sending my untrained staff back to basic training. The corrections officers union head says so many veterans are leaving because of pay and morale. The state is changing how it hires out of desperation. There's virtually no hiring standards anymore. If you can walk in the door, you can get a job. Gary Gross says you can now start working at 19 years old and there's no longer a physical test. You don't even have to have a driver's license and I uh, think they've done away with some of the education things in that area. DOC Director Ann Presythe tried getting answers at an August town hall near the Bowling Green prison. Why are people quitting? I would say money is part of it, better jobs. Help us recruit the people. She said she'd press legislators for pay raises, but added officers will have to accept younger recruits. I'm not giving up on the Generation Xers or the Millennials, because we need them. I am not giving up on them. They are coming to us in droves. Missouri prisons are so short-staffed right now, officers are forced to work overtime. Stay tuned to our ongoing investigation, Crumbling Corrections, and how it's impacting not only officers, but also inmates, their families, and crime victims. For the Fox Files, I'm Chris Hayes. We're lucky to have Chris Hayes with us in studio this morning. First off, another tremendous report in your ongoing series on this topic. Um, wow, I mean, you see this, and it seems hard to believe that you would essentially be hiring people with absolutely no training to job shadow, for lack of a better term, in some very tense situations. Uh, what has the state said about the problems that could arise as a result of this? The state is aggressively trying to recruit by taking some unusual steps like putting up billboards in rural areas and trying to get the word out that they desperately need to fill these positions. And for the corrections officers remaining, it's exhausting on them right now. I just heard a report from somebody who said their officers are working three to four doubles a week and they just can't do it any longer. And right now the vacancies just in a few months have gone up from about 600 to 900 was the last report last month. You know, they say that Missouri's state employees are on average the lowest paid in the nation. I yes. know that the, the one gentleman mentioned pay. How big of an issue is the low pay in terms of them being able to attract and train qualified professionals? Pay is a huge issue. You're right. Statewide, I believe Missouri is last. And with corrections officers, they're near the bottom when it comes to nationwide correction officer pay. It's hard to keep employees. There's also no progression. So a CO that gets in there and is making $29,000 in the beginning makes that same $29,000 a decade later. So it's really hard to retain employees. All right. Chris Hayes, we thank you for your time on this Saturday morning. Still to come here on Postscripts, we'll take a look at what's trending up, what's trending down, and a trend to watch for the coming week. 
All right, Christopher's here now with what's trending. First, what's up? What's up, up, up in the sky? St. Louis County Police will use drones to help fight crime. County Board of Police approved use of drones this week. St. Louis Police Foundation donated enough money for four drones and nine officers already have been licensed to fly them. All right, trending down. Now, new statistics out this week show that one cause of the harsh flu season last winter was a big drop in vaccinations. Now, I have to tell you, I didn't get a flu shot last year. In fact, I never had one as far as I can remember, but I sure caught the flu last February, which was followed by pneumonia. I got off easy compared to a lot of people. So take it from me, get your flu shot, if not for yourself, for your family and coworkers, for the public health. And I want you to know this, I took my own advice. I've got my flu shot, was first in line. As was I, Christopher. Excellent. A trend to watch. In the wake of the pipe bombs and the growing anger and division in our politics, many people are asking what can be done to unite the country. I have no magic formula, but here's one thing we can all do. Lay aside the ugliness, think before you tweet, put relationships above ideology, even if others don't. I believe we all need to take responsibility for our own actions. Doing so has never been more important. All right, Christopher, thank you very much. And thank you at home for joining us on this sun Saturday morning. And we're going to continue to be here on Saturday morning for the next several weeks. So if you don't wake up with us live, set that DVR. Game day with Martin Kilcoin coming up next. Have a great weekend. We'll see you back here next week for Postscripts.